Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our Group Life Pastor, Tim Smith. If you've been around for a while, you may realize that on this particular holiday weekend, um, I have preached several times. And most of the time, in fact, all the time, uh, I have used some scripture that talk about uh, our work and our work environment. We once talked about how to get your balance between your work time and the rest of your pursuits of life. We talked about take this job and love it in terms of how much your work matters to God. Last time we talked about um, our paycheck, how much our money matters to God and to each other um, and to ourselves. And so uh, I I looked at a couple months ago uh, coming to this particular time on Labor Day weekend again and talking about work. And there's plenty of scriptures that can talk about more about work, but then it's kind of dawned on me, you know what? This particular weekend, um, even though it's called labor, so work certainly uh, works with that, um, it's really sometimes a weekend where a lot of people get off of work and they'd rather think about nothing else (laughs) or something else besides work. So I thought, let's do something different this time. Um, Let's not talk about work. So, But if you're here thinking, okay, look, I've been here before and I've been here on Labor Day weekend and Tim's preaching, um, it's about work, obviously, because it's Labor Day and he showed me this clip of a talking donkey, so it must be we're going to talk about how to get along with my boss. (laughs) or that difficult employee, you know, that's in the cubicle next to me. Well, if that's where your mind kind of went, you'd be wrong because we're not going to do that. What we want to do is just simply talk about what I think is one of the most incredible incidents in all of Scripture, and that is a real talking donkey. When I, I taught this at another church several years ago, like in a class on a Wednesday night type format, and I was teaching Old Testament incidents, and I announced that next week we're going to talk about a talking donkey. And there was somebody pretty close to the front who just spontaneously said, there's no such thing as a talking donkey in the Bible. Well, actually, there is. And I understand, though, the resistance because when it comes to talking animals, those are relegated to fairy tales or to animated movies. Or if you're old like me, to television shows like Mr. Ed. They don't really exist. Well, here at Northridge Christian, we believe that the Bible is literal, and there is actually an incident where an animal talks. In this case, it is a donkey. Why? Why would that happen? All to get one man's attention. All to get a man who had wandered away to come back into a right relationship with God. The fact is, the Bible tells us all the time that God is pursuing us. Certainly there are a lot of scriptures that say, if you search out for him, you will find him. Jeremiah says, you seek him, you'll find him if you seek him with all your heart. But it also teaches us that God is constantly trying to get our attention because he wants to have a loving, grace-filled relationship with us. So today, I just want to walk through this incredible incident and see how God uses this donkey to get one man's attention and then for us to learn some lessons from it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers, the 22nd chapter, or if you have a device, you can do that. Um, You can use your insert that we have if taking notes kind of helps you in terms of uh, the message. But let's dig into this uh, from uh, Numbers 22. 
The protagonist, or the main character in this incident, is a man by the name of Balaam. And a little background about him and the time frame this is happening might be helpful for our understanding. First of all, Balaam, it's hard for me to consider Balaam a real godly man. You see, he was a seer, a fortune teller, if you will, by trade. In fact, many Bible scholars call him a sorcerer. They say he was kind of a Mideastern witch doctor. Because the way Balaam made his money was to charge folks to place curses or blessings on people of their choice. You know, basically, the voodoo you do will pay you for it. And apparently, he was quite good at it. But don't make me any mistake about him personally. At this point in his life, religion was his business. It wasn't his lifestyle. But the time frame of Numbers 22, I think, helps us to understand this. The Israelites had escaped from Egypt after 400 years of national slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea, and they're on their way as a Hebrew nation with God as their commander to the Promised Land, to what we now know today as Israel. But in order to get there, they had to go through many nations, and a lot of those nations were hostile to them, and they had to fight their way kind of to the Promised Land. That meant they were defeating the tribes that they walked through, our nations, on their way. And here in Numbers 22, we find that the nation of Moab, led by a king by the name of Balak, are about ready to take on the nation of Israel. But King Balak does not like his chances against this nation, and so he comes to Balaam, asking him to use his powers with God to curse the nation of Israel. So let's pick it up in Numbers 22, starting with verse 2. It says, when King Balak of Moab realized how many of them, Israelites, there were, and when he learned what they had done to the Amorites, because they just had crushed that nation, he and his people were terrified. So King Balak sent messengers to Balaam. He begged Balaam to come and help him. A vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth and are headed toward me. Please come and curse them for me so that I can drive them out of my land, for I know what fantastic blessings fall on those whom you bless, and I also know that those whom you curse are doomed. Now, obviously, somewhere in Balaam's life, he was willing to acknowledge that the God of the Israelites was very powerful. Otherwise, he would not have the reputation he had here with King Balak that Balak found so needful in this case. But I think his story kind of exposes the deception of maintaining the outward side of spirituality while inwardly you're not really that great of a God follower at all. Because, you see, Balaam was ready to obey God. God, as long as he could profit from doing so. And we kind of know like what that's about, right? It's like the politician who never goes to church, but as he's coming up to uh, a vote, then he thinks, you know what, maybe I ought to uh, look like a church member so that maybe I'll get some more votes. Or I think of the couple who, who wants to get married in a church because they want God's blessing, but they've never darkened the church before and don't usually afterwards. It's this idea that somehow, if I just do a couple of right things, I can get blessed by God. And that's kind of where Balaam was. Although he realizes God has an awesome power, his heart is really occupied with the riches he can gain, in this case from the king of Moab. In fact, verse 7 tells us that King Balaam sends prominent leaders to Balaam with money, asking him to curse the Israelites. 
However, that night, God comes to Balaam very plainly and says, do not curse the Jewish nation, the Israelites, because I have blessed them. And to his credit, Balaam tells this first wave of leaders, I can't do what you ask. Well, the leaders go home. They tell King Balak and tell him the news, but this king will not take no for an answer. He figures Balaam's just probably haggling on the price. So in verse 15, the king sends even more distinguished men. And in verse 16, we read this. King Balak pleads with you to come. He promises you great honors, plus, catch this, any payment you ask, name your own figure. You know, Balaam could have whatever he wants. Only come and curse these people for us. Now, once again, Balaam refuses to disobey God, and we see in verse 19 um, that he, he says no, but it also gives us some insight into Balaam's crisis of character because even though he said no a second time, look at what he says. He says to these guys, okay, no, but however, stay here tonight so that I can find out whether the Lord will add anything to what he has said before. It kind of makes you want to go, hey, Balaam, what part of no did you not understand? <laughs> I mean, it's not that he's in a situation where he's saying, no, get away from me. He's basically saying, look, uh, I, I, I have to tell you no, but I'm really hoping that something else will, will happen here, that God will change his mind, because he's got a real dilemma. The fact is, he wants the money, <laughs> but he knows to get the money, he's got to disobey God. But the very fact that Balaam wants the men to spend the night says he's waffling on this, or at least hoping he can figure out some way to do both. You see, Balaam's primary problem was his greed. He talked a good game, but he wanted money more than he wanted to please God. And like many, Balaam wanted his way to be God's way rather than God's way to be his way. Ever done that? <laughs> Ever had a situation where you go, you know what? God, this is what I want to do, so bless it. <laughs> Rather than going, God, what is it that you want me to do? And look what happens. Verse 20. That night, God told Balaam, you may get up and go with these men, but be sure to say only what I tell you to. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like God has allowed Balaam to go. Right? In verse 21, Balaam does go. And yet... There are a number of translations that say that God was mad with him for going. For example, the New Living Translation gives verse 19 and, uh, through 22 this way. It says, That night God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. Be sure to tell, you, tell them only what I tell you to do. So he's allowed to go, right? Then it says, So the next morning Balaam saddled his donkey and started off with the Moabite officials, but God was furious at Balaam for going. The New International Version has similar language. The King James Version is even more adamant. It says God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, wait a minute. I, I thought God told him to go. Why would God tell him to go and then get mad at him for going? Well, as I research this, there's two possible answers. Some scholars think that God really wasn't giving him permission, but in exasperation was saying, okay, look, you're going to go, so go anyway. But that's not... In my mind, that's not permission. That's, that's just kind of resignation, you know? And I find it hard to think of God's character like that. But another possibility, and the one that I hold to, is not that God was angry that Balaam went, but that he went with a wrong attitude. That's why I think the Living Bible paraphrase may say it best. 
It says, so the next morning he saddled his donkey and started off with them, but God was angry at Balaam's eager attitude. Eager for what? Eager for the money. Balaam was thinking as he went, I'm going to figure out some way to get this jackpot. <laughs> in fact, in the New Testament, it kind of clears it up. In 2 Peter 2.15, Peter kind of tells us the rest of the story. In talking in general about people who displease God, he's, he writes this. They have gone off the road and become lost like Balaam, who fell in love with the money he could make by doing wrong. See, God wasn't angry because he went. He was angry because he went with a greedy, sinful heart. But while Balaam is going with this sinful attitude, God in his amazing grace prepares one of the most incredible events ever recorded in Scripture to get his attention and to get him back on the right road in a relation, good relationship with him. So due to Balaam's secret desire to disobey God for money, God sends an angel to stop him. In verse 23, actually, it says that the angel was to kill him. But God, being the gracious God that he is, decides to give Balaam another chance. And so we pick up the incident in verse 23. It says, Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword. She bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat her back onto the road. Now, the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road went between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw him standing there, she squirmed past by pressing against the wall, crushing or scraping Balaam's foot in the process, and so he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place so narrow that the donkey couldn't get by at all. Here's a really smart animal. So she laid down in the road. <laughs> in a great fit of temper, Balaam beat her again, this time with his staff. You see, three times the donkey puzzles Balaam. He cannot figure out why she's acting this way because he doesn't see what she sees. First she runs off the road, he beats her back on it. Then she, he's riding her and she scrapes his foot because she's, he's trying to get around the angel, and so he beats her again. And finally, she just flat lays down in the road, furious. Balaam this time beats her with the staff, and then it happens. Verse 28, then the Lord caused the donkey to speak. What have I done that deserves your beating me these three times, she asked. Because you've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. I wish I had a sword with me, for I would kill you. Have I ever done anything like this before in my entire life, the donkey asked. No, he admitted. Isn't this great? The donkey reasons with the guy, and the guy says, okay, here's why I did it. I mean, he's reasoning back with the donkey. Why, why didn't he at first go, wait a minute, you just, you, what? You talked. <laughs> no, no, he, he's arguing with the donkey. I think it just gives us more insight into his character. He, he's really very willful. He's got a terrible temper. Why did you beat me? <laughs> donkey said, well, because you made me look like a fool in front of these dignitaries. I'd kill you if I had a sword. And maybe, maybe at that point he's ready to say, well, wait, wait a minute, you, you talked. Except what happens next is even more incredible. Verse 31. 
Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel standing in the roadway with a drawn sword. Now, as incredible as it is to hear a donkey talk, I think it pales in comparison to see a supernatural being, an angel, with a drawn sword. Before he has time to even probably think about the fact that the donkey talked, Balaam sees this angel and says, yeah, and what do you want? Oh, no, 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 that's not what he does at all. In fact, something about this being brings a totally different reaction. He immediately falls flat on the ground. Now, kind of as a side, if anyone ever questions you that God is not an animal lover, just take them to this text. Because the first words out of the angel of the Lord's mouth is concerned for the donkey. <laughs> In verse 32, why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel demanded? I have come to stop you because you are headed for destruction. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away from me. Otherwise, I would have certainly have killed you by now and, here comes animal lovers, spared her. <laughs> you see, God is using this very loyal animal to get Balaam's attention. He's trying to say, look, I'm giving you another chance. And this donkey helps save his life and actually helps him see God. And Balaam, through this, realizes he is wrong. And in verse 34, he confesses, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were there. I will go back home if you don't want me to go on. And the angel says, no, I want you to go. Go ahead with the men, but make sure you completely obey God. And as we learn... Balaam does just that. And it's an incredible incident. <laughs> but as incredible as the story is, what can we actually learn from it? What, what applications can we make? Well, let's take three lessons to learn as we go home. Here's the first one. When temptation comes your way, run from it. Balaam would have never had to be saved from the angel if he had just done the right thing in the first place. But you see, there lurked within his heart this desire, this temptation. It was even raised when the king sweetened the pot, and so he did a very dangerous thing. He didn't lock the door. He didn't say, no, fellas, this subject's closed. God's already spoken. No, he invited the visitors to stay. <laughs> Wrong move. <laughs> Please understand some biblical truths about temptation. First of all, temptation itself is not sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells, tells us about Jesus. He says, For our high priest, talking about Jesus, is able to understand our weaknesses. When he lived on earth, he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. Even Jesus was tempted, but he was perfect. He was not sinful. You see, doing right doesn't lie in the fact that you are never tempted. In fact, God would say, listen, you're not responsible for that fleeting thought that comes through your mind, but you are responsible for how long you allow it to lodge there. In fact, Martin Luther once said, you may not be able to stop a bird from landing on your head, but you don't have to let it build a nest there. See, temptation is not sin, but how long do you keep feeding that temptation? Here's the second thing, actually, about temptation that you need to understand. It's all about moving from awareness to attention. You see, Balaam is, is made aware of an offer. That's not a problem. He's able to answer it and answer it in a godly way. But then, when he invites the men into his home, he's giving his full attention to that offer, which is what leads him to trouble. Because whatever gets your attention, gets you. 
That's why when it comes to resisting temptation, it often means staying away or getting up or leaving the situation. Get up and turn the TV off. Walk away from the group that's telling dirty jokes. Sell the computer if you have to. Just get up, move away, do whatever you have to do to get out of the situation. Because this is so important to understand. When you focus on something, that's what's got your attention, and that's what you're going to be drawn to. So what you need to do is move away. But as you move away, focus on something else, preferably something positive. Because remember, what you focus on will get your attention. You know that's true. If you're on a diet and you just keep saying and telling yourself, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry, what are you focusing on? Food, right? That's what's got your entire attention. You see... The more you think about something, the stronger it has a hold on you. Please understand this truth. Awareness becomes attention, and attention determines action. Awareness becomes attention, and attention determines action. This is the way the Bible says that in James 1.14. He says, temptation, there's the awareness, is the pull of your own evil thoughts and wishes. That's the attention. And then these evil thoughts, what you've given your attention to, lead to evil actions. So when temptation comes your way, get away. Don't place your attention on it. Rather, focus on something positive, like Scripture, or, or the God who loves you. Make sure that when temptation comes, you run from it. Don't think you're strong enough to play with it and not get burned. Here's a second lesson to learn. When God tries to get your attention, listen up. I am amazed that the creator of the universe wants a relationship with me. And that amazement grows when I realize that he will use people, things and circumstances to get my attention so that if I've wandered away, he can bring me back home to him. Now, granted, it's very rare. In fact, this is the only time I know of in all of history that God uses a talking animal to grab the attention of someone. But this incident does and should teach us all that God will use just about anything for us to look to him. One of the reasons I sit while I preach is because, okay, I'm old, so we'll get that out of the way. But it's, and it's also because I've been doing it for now 20 years. But the reason it actually started goes all the way back to 1985 when I suffered a knee injury. And how did I suffer that? Well, I can remember like it was yesterday. It was Easter Sunday evening, 1985, and I'm playing basketball with a bunch of guys. And I did something, anybody's played basketball knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just a little move that I've made hundreds, maybe thousands of times called a jab step. Took a jab step, but this time, instead of what normally happened, I heard a loud pop and I hit the ground hard. The bottom line was I tore completely my anterior cruciate ligament. Now, I've got to tell you, that at that particular time in my life, I was not living all that faithful of life to God. I was not using my gifts for God. I was not a good witness to my fellow police officers at the time. In fact, I spent 13 years in law enforcement. At the time, I was in police work in Boca Raton, Florida, and I, I, I was not a good example at all. I went to church because I'd been raised in church. I even worked midnight sometimes and would come to church like that would get me an extra cookie or an extra check. 
But, and I would do things. You know, I'd even teach sometimes a class on Sunday morning every once in a while. But I was just going through the motions. That's all I was doing. And so, I believe to this day that God used, please hear this, didn't cause, but he used that knee injury to get my attention. First of all, I was in the hospital for six days with the surgery. Now, this is back in 1985. They do it much more efficiently now. But while I was there, I had to take a hard look at my life, and it wasn't pretty. And I began to look at that, and I began to think, you know what? Something's got to change. And then I had complications with that first surgery and had a setback, and I had to be taken back in the hospital for another six days. And I was put on my back, flat on my back, with this machine that bends your knee, your leg, 24-7. And I was absolutely helpless. And it began to dawn on me how completely dependent I was on Deb and on other people. And, and as I look at that, it was also during that time that I realized, you know what? In the end, I am completely dependent upon God. I mean, just as quickly as that knee injury had occurred, I could lose my family. I could lose my career. I could lose my life. And I am absolutely convinced that God used that knee injury to focus, refocus me on what really mattered on true value. Not on not only this life, but the life to come. And I'll tell you, my life changed from that moment on. Now let me ask you, what is God using to get your attention? I'm pretty sure probably not going to be a talking animal, and I really hope that it's not an injury. But here's what I am sure of. He's trying. Maybe it's a sermon like this. Maybe it's a, a friend who's been talking to you. Maybe it's the lyrics in a song. Maybe it is a problem that you're going through. Whatever it is, listen up. <laughs> listen up. Be intentional about going, God, I, I want to hear from you. Stay in his word. Listen to godly teachers. Rely on the Spirit to relay his truth to you. And say, you know what, God, what is it that you would have for me? Listen to what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, blessed are those who hear the teaching of God and what? Obey it. <laughs> I think one of the most eternity-changing questions you can ask is, what does God want me to do and am I willing to? to do it. Because remember, just like with Balaam, God is trying to get your attention because God wants what's best for you. And that brings us to the third lesson. When God tells you something, it's for your good. I think this is probably the most important of the three. I, I talk to so many people that think of God as a killjoy, <laughs> of some entity that is ready to just to swat them if they do anything wrong, that wants to make their life miserable. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Like a perfect parent, God wants what's best for you. And those of us who are parents, we understand that, don't we? Sometimes we have to tell our children to do things they don't like, or we say no to things they don't understand, but we do it for their good. And God is exactly the same way. He's trying to get your attention to refocus you on him, to have a healthy relationship because he promises you the best life here and now and eternity in the forever. Listen to 1 John 5.3. In fact, if I had to memorize a scripture, this would be the one. 1 John 5.3 says, Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, they're not to make you miserable. <laughs> 
there to make your life better. You know, God caused Balaam's donkey to talk for his good. I mean, saved his life. It just shows us how much God wants our best. And it's very interesting to me at the end of the story, Balaam gives up fighting God, and he finally just kind of lays down his pride, lays down whatever shame he might have had for doing that, and he says, I've sinned. And I'll go back home if you don't want me to go on. Maybe God's got your attention today. Are you willing to say, what do you want, God? Whatever it is, I'll do it. Maybe you're seeing God for the very first time as someone who will do everything in his power to have a relationship with you. The real question is, are you paying attention? If you are, are you ready to say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I'll do it. Father, thank you for recording this incident. Thank you for the way, the incredible way, you went out of your way to, to save Balaam from destruction. But Lord, help us to learn that that is exactly what you do with us. Oh, I'm probably not a talking donkey, but there's so many different ways that you're trying to get our attention to get us back to you. And so Lord, first of all, my prayer is for that, that one that, that maybe came here today just unsure of you or, or has wandered far away from you. Help them to see that you are a loving God that doesn't want to make them miserable, wants the very best for them, and you keep trying to get their attention. It doesn't matter where they are. You're saying, listen, come as you are, and I will take you where you could be with me. And Lord, may all of us understand that problems and, and people and different circumstances could all be used by you to help us get back on the road, to help us know how much you love and want our best. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, maybe today you're thinking, you know what? God has been trying to get my attention. I'm just not sure what he wants me to do. If you'd like to come and talk about that while we sing in just a moment, we'd be happy to talk with you. Or maybe you've got a family member or you've got a friend that you know has wandered off the way and you just want to pray with somebody, we'll have people up front. But as we close this morning, you just remember, God's saying to you, just like he did to Balaam, you can come exactly as you are. Just lay it down. All your pride, all your shame, all the things that you have that's keeping you away from him, and come home. Because it doesn't matter how far you've wandered. Just like with Balaam, he'll bring you back to him. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at